the Bible says that the church is a body, and we've sometimes called ourselves a breathing church, because a, a, a body has to both breathe in and breathe out. So I sometimes say, which is more important to us, to breathe in or to breathe out? And, and the answer you always know is yes. Uh, now, in our short series of messages that we're doing, uh, the church breathing here and breathing out there, I have my section today, and I came to this point of thinking, there's a basic question here. If a church is to breathe out something of the love and message of God into the community and into the world, what is the church? Well, I mean, what is the church supposed to be? And it, maybe you can answer that easily, but I bet you'll have a bit of a challenging time. And it made me think about a story that Colin Smith told that I'm, you can just sit back for a moment and listen. It's called The Parable of the Zoo Animals. So listen. Of all the animals in the zoo, none was more popular than the lion. There were other animals that were more powerful, some were more colorful, but the lions had something that drew the crowds. It had not always been that way. But now every survey pointed in the same direction. The action was with the lions. Now the other animals took note. And one day a leopard was talking with his friends. When my father was young, people came to see us leopards. But now people pass us by to look at those lions. We really have to do something about this. Well, said one of the other leopards, lions don't look all that different from, from leopards. If it wasn't for our spots, people might not know the difference. Why don't we just change the sign on our cage to say that we are lions too? And so they did. Well, the next day, the donkeys had a discussion. No one is visiting us, one of them said. All we hear about is these lions. Well, said one of them, we are not so very different from lions. After all, we have four legs and a decent tail. It's just our color is different and, and the shape of our bodies. We shouldn't be ashamed about those things. Why don't we just change the sign in our cage to say lions instead of donkeys? Well, we don't sound like lions, said one of the donkeys. But I suppose we could try, so the donkeys tried. But it didn't work very well. So after a while, they just gave up. People will just have to understand that we are a very distinctive kind of lion, they said. Well, over the years, the movement continued to grow. The squirrels were drawn into the movement. I mean, after all, like lions, they could climb and they could run. Now, they did have a problem with diet, being vegetarians rather than carnivores. But when they changed the sign on their small cage, they agreed that this was their distinctive among the wonderful world of lions. Among the last to join the movement were the eagles. There were some traditionalist eagles who insisted, we are nothing like lions since our distinctive is to fly and lions can't fly. However, they were eventually outvoted by the more progressive eagles who pointed out that eagles at least do eat meat and have more right to be called lions than squirrels who just eat nuts. So the sign on their cage was changed also. And so it was. When children visited the zoo, 
they learned many things. Some lions have a golden yellow coat, but some have spots. Some lions roar, but some make this strange braying noise. Some lions are very small and eat nuts. And even though most lions travel on the ground, there are some lions who are able to soar in the sky. So one day, the original lions called a conference. The subject for their meeting was a forum entitled, What is a Lion? And one of the scholars said, Today we are faced with a situation in which the word lion means many different things. We now have lions with spots and lions who can fly and these more traditional golden lions who stay on the ground and can only communicate in an old-fashioned roar. Some of the lions were enthusiastic about this. They said, there has never been a more wonderful day to be a lion. But there is a problem said Leo, the senior member of the clan. The problem is that the word lion does not mean anything to anyone anymore. There was a long silence as the lions considered the predicament. Some thought, perhaps we just need a new name ourselves. Maybe we should call ourselves roaring, unspotted, ground-based, meat-eating lions. But they all thought that was too cumbersome. In the end, Leo broke the silence. I propose, he said, that we begin a new program to teach our cubs what it really means to be a lion. We must tell our cubs that real lions eat meat and that lions do not fly. I mean, Leo had hardly finished the sentence when he was interrupted. You can't possibly teach that. You'll offend everyone else. But in the end, the lions agreed. They had to teach their cubs what it meant to be a lion. And they decided that the best way to do that is to go back to the days when lions knew what it meant to be a lion. Back to the beginning days when other animals didn't use that word. Let's go back to the beginning, they said. If we do not do this, our cubs will not grow up knowing it all what it means to be a lion. Now, I thought of that parable with this message. Uh, When I thought about talking to you about what the church should be, and it goes out, uh, and, and as I've had all these conversations here in Southern California about what this big church on the corner really is about, and heard so many strange things about what they thought a church might do, I thought, you and I need to come back together again and think about what it really means to be the church, so that those who come to this place in coming generations will know what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. And as I said, we've chosen to use this idea of a breathing church that we breathe in, such as we are doing now, to hear the word, to worship God, to offer our praise, to remember things that God has done within community, to strengthen our own walk with God so that we can go out and breathe out. And we have said that breathing out has to be both the message of Jesus so that people might know Him, as well as the love of Jesus so that the compassion and justice of Christ might actually be seen in this world and that the breathing out must be here in our own neighborhood but that we're into a global task. It must be there, carrying the love and message of Jesus to places where they have never heard. 
But again, the question comes, what then is this church that is to breathe out? What do you think? Um, I should have taken a quiz before, shouldn't I? Is it, is it just a building? Is the, is the church just a social justice organization? It must do that. But is that the essence of it? Is, is the church a social club where people who sort of enjoy the same things come together and, and seek to be entertained and then go out saying, I didn't like it all that much? Is it any gathering of people who just kind of come together in their homes or wherever to do whatever they like? I'll tell you, that the answers to that are so varied that I think you and I have come to the same place where the animals in the zoo had come to. What does it really mean to be a church? Uh, there, there are many places that sure look like they are churches that don't use the word church anymore. Have you noticed that? And there are many places that don't look at all like a church that call themselves churches. How are we going to figure this out? Well, I think Leo had it right. We need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to the beginning. And that takes us to the beginning of the church, to the text that Anne read for us. It's in Acts chapter 2. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there. It's called the Day of Pentecost. The Day of Pentecost. It's, it's so often called the birthday of the church. It's the very beginning. It's the time when the Spirit of God was poured on all who followed Jesus and knits us together into one family. It's the birthday of the church. And that's what we're going to think about and see what it says about what the church is and what we need to be in our community and in our world as we breathe out. Now, it was Pentecost. Do you know what that is? We think about it as this day in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came and people spoke in tongues and they understood it in all languages and the church was knit together. But the Jewish people had celebrated Pentecost for a long time before that ever happened. In fact, Pentecost was called the birthday of the nation of Israel. Did you know that? Pentecost just means 50. It, it happened 50 days after Israel was rescued out of slavery in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. Fifty days later, Moses, their leader, was called up onto a mountain, Mount Sinai, and God appeared in fire and wind and gave to him the Ten Commandments and he carried it back down. Before that time, the, the people of Israel were just a nomadic group traveling around. Uh, they'd been in slavery for a long time. But at that point, they received their foundational document, the Ten Commandments. From that point on, they were no longer just a nomadic traveling people. They became the people of God, committed to His constitution, committed to Jehovah, committed to His ways. See, so in one day, and you can read about it, it's really thrilling to read it. In Exodus 19 and 20, you can imagine on one day they woke up and they were one thing, and at the end of the day, they were something much more. But, but the prophecies had told them that this wasn't just going to be for them. That through their line there was going to come a Messiah and they would be a blessing for all nations. And when Acts 2 comes, the Messiah had come. Jesus had come and lived the life that uh, all of us should live and no one had except for Him and then died the death in our place so that we can be forgiven. Defeated death by a resurrection which we've just been celebrating, and then said, I am going to do a work that reaches all the nations. And just a few days before, in Acts chapter 1, 
his disciples had been gathered. And he said, wait now, because the Holy Spirit is going to come and something new is going to begin. And that's what happens in Acts 2. On the birthday of God's people, a new birthday takes place. Fire and wind take place in Acts chapter 2. And something new begins where the Holy Spirit comes upon all people groups, knitting us into one family. So if we are going to ask, as the lions did, let's go back to the beginning so that we might be able to figure out what the church is, this is the place where we start. And what do we learn? Well, I'm telling you, we don't have time to learn at all, do we? But I'm going to tell you a few things, and I want you to think about our own church family. And I want you to pray that these most basic things that we saw in the beginning might be true of us. And maybe you'll have to ask, have we become an animal very different from what God ever intended us to be? You still with me? All right, what is this church? Number one, it becomes clear that the church is to be a people in which each one in the church has personal access to God. Each one. Stand in wonder, brothers and sisters. (laughs) We can enter boldly into the presence of the maker of the universe and know him as our father. How do I see that? Well, when God was identifying himself as the Lord over the people of Israel in Exodus 19. Remember, he appeared to them as fire and as wind. Fire. If you read Exodus 19 and 20, the people still had to stay at a distance. Uh, Because fire is something that is beautiful, isn't it? But it's also dangerous. Uh, Living in Chicago, there's something wonderful about fire. When it's cold, it can make you warm. There's something dangerous about fire. If you get too close, it can burn you. Right? You got that? So the people of Israel, who lived before Jesus came and died for their sins, were still an unholy people. And God is a holy God. And so to get too close to God, they felt like we're going to get burned up. So they said, Moses, you go. So he went up onto Mount Sinai. He received the law of God and brought it back to them, and they stayed at a distance. Only Moses had close access to God. Now notice what happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 3. On this particular day, fire comes down out of heaven, just like Exodus chapter 19 and 20. But then it separates, and it comes down upon the head of each and every one. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, The fire of the one God comes out of heaven and then separates and comes down on each and every one. Now, do you see what it's saying? I get up here so yelling and screaming. I think, what on earth is he talking about? If fire is that symbol of who God is, what it is saying is that now that our sin has been taken care of by Jesus, when our faith is in Jesus... We can have a personal relationship with this holy God without being burned up. Unholy people like you and me, and that's every one of us. So if you come to church today and you say, my life's not perfect, how can I ever enter into the presence of God? Look around you. Here is a whole bunch of us. That's what we are. People who have been, by the grace of God, 
given access to God to know Him as our Father. I just imagine if Moses had been there in Acts 2, he would have been saying, Do you see what's happening? I think if he were here with us today, he would tell us, Do you know how blessed you are? Each one of you can know God as your Father and know His presence through your Holy Spirit within you. So this is what the church is. It's not the place where you just have a, a holy man up there declaring, <laughs> declaring something. It's that all of us are made holy people entering into a relationship with God. What is the church? You go back to the beginning. Brothers and sisters, stand in wonder. It is a place where each one of us can know God as our Father. Do you still stand in wonder of that? Well, what else is the church? Second, not only do we know Him, each one has, is a minister of God. Oh boy, there! I better think about what that minister simply see, means somebody who serves in the name of God. Somebody who has been given gifts by God. At that first Pentecost in Exodus 19, there's only one man who went up that mountain and only one man spoke God's message. Who was it? It was Moses. And the message that he gave them was the law. This is how God wants you to live. Unfortunately, nobody could live that way perfectly. So God always knew we needed help. We needed help. And so the Messiah was going to come and God was going to come through His Spirit and dwell in the hearts of people. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, when the fire came upon each one, notice, all of them began to speak. And in verse 11, the message that they brought was not just the law, this is how God made you to live. It was a message of the wondrous works of God. This is the message that we have to proclaim. It is not, oh, here's how you've got to live and become good enough to start coming to Lake Avenue Church because we'd have nobody in church. It is a message of God loves us anyway. He has done wondrous works, and if you simply respond to it and receive it, He will welcome you in, and He'll begin His work of remaking you. And it's not just one person who has the opportunity to tell people about God. It's not just one person who's given the responsibility of showing the love of Christ. It is each one. All of them spoke. And then in, in verses 17 and 18, God said, that's what I'd always intended because every person is made in my image. And when the church begins, notice who is able to speak uh, the message and show the message of God. The day will come when I will pour out my spirit on all people, he said. Sons and daughters, notice that. Young men and old, men and women, God says, all will speak of me. Each one will be a minister. And again, the message, central message will not be the law. This is how you have to live to please God. But God says, I will find a way to remake you in my image. So what is the church? The church is a people in which each one of us has a personal relationship with God. We know Him as our Father. It happens through faith in Jesus. And secondly, it's a place in which each one has a ministry through the presence of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying, you know, because I want to have a job. Um, 
I'm not saying that there is no place to set aside a few people who open the word and who train others for works of ministry, for works of service. The Bible teaches that as well. But I am saying this. And you, we live in Southern California. We are in an entertainment world, a consumer's world. Anybody know that? And when the church becomes like the rest of the world, it will not be recognizable as a church. When a church is a place where we only come because we say, well, I like that music that's done there. Oh, that wasn't as as entertaining as as I remember it being two weeks ago. Oh, I went to another... No, 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 no. When it becomes that, we become very different kinds of animals. When the first thing you want to come in is to be an audience ready to be entertained, then you're coming to the wrong place. Buy a ticket and go there on Friday night. A church is a place where God has given you His Spirit and has, has, has poured His Spirit upon you and says, now look to serve those people sitting alongside of you. When you leave church, look to carry my message and my love to those around you. Look for people who are weeping or hurting in the church and let this be my family where people serve people. For that's what the church is. Each one is a minister of God. Third, A church is a place where each one of us is a part of a new community. A community. It means we've been brought together. We need one another. We help one another to grow. Here at Lake Avenue Church, we call ourselves sometimes God's unexpected family. Have you heard me use that language? And by that, you know I don't mean that it was unexpected to God. Boy, I didn't expect Scott White to believe in me. I just... It's not unexpected to God. He knew what he was doing. Ephesians, it was his eternal plan. What's unexpected is to the world. So so if the world will look at at a group of people coming together and they say, what on earth are those people doing, worshiping alongside of one another? I know that guy. He likes country music. What is he doing listening to the music that's done here? Um, They see something of the church. When they see young and old, who almost never do anything together in our world, actually worshiping together and then going out into the community and serving together. The world says, I didn't expect that. And they will know that God is at work in this place. So what happened there at Pentecost? They saw that God alone can bring together fragmented people. People from every, it tells us, nation, first five, under heaven, heard the message of God and they heard it as one group through a group of Galileans. You're not nearly as shocked as I thought you should be. Because nobody, this would be like a group of sophisticated Southern Californians listening to a hillbilly West Virginian declaring the message and actually receiving it. (laughs) Can that happen? Galileans, they were the blue-collar workers of of the world of Jesus. They had this strong, thick accent that nobody, nobody liked at all. To think that Galileans would deliver the message that they can hear in their own language, that was a shock in and of itself. It was as shocking as Bubba Watson winning the Masters Tournament in Augusta. If you're not a golf fan, you don't know how shocking that is. Sophisticated Augusta and a guy named Bubba winning it. So that's the way they would have viewed this. You read this and you say, was this a miracle of tongues or a miracle of the ears? Was it they were speaking it or were they... You can read it and figure it out. Theologians have debated about this. All that I can tell you is it was a miracle. 
And in verses 9 through 12, the people who were there. Just, you can read through the whole list. Parthians, Medes, Elamites. We don't know what those are. Who, who are the people who were gathered there? They included Egyptians, Libyans, Italians, Jews, Arabs. Can you imagine a gathering like that in our world? It was just as unimaginable for them. And the declaration that culminates the message of Peter in the sermon that he preaches in verse 21. That now that the thing has taken place, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be rescued. And I'll just tell you in case you missed it, the word everyone means everyone. I don't know if you got that. So much could be said about this, but I'm just telling you, you know this, that I believe anything that is a church named by Jesus Christ has to be intentional about making sure that we will be the kind of community that God says my family is. He started it this way, and when he ends it in Revelation 7, 9, every tribe, language, and nation will be there. So that means we have to be ready to welcome people from all backgrounds and not, not be shocked if they come and they say, well, I had this way of life, I did this. No, 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 you're welcome, because if I can be in, there's hope for you as well. We must be intentional about this, or someday we will come to a point where we say, I'm telling you, I don't even know what it means to be in a church. What it means to be in a church is that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus find rescue and are brought into the family of God. So, when the church becomes a place in which we come to be served by others instead of looking to serve others, we are something very different from what our Father says the church is. And when we are not intentional about welcoming everyone, regardless of ethnicity, age, taste, we're going to be looking like something very different from our father's family. When we fall into that trap, in which we say, we can grow faster, if we just kind of have a segmented, we'll let the younger people who like this go over here, and if people are Caribbean and like that, they can go over there. When we start doing that, what we do is we become prey to the evil one's desire to divide the people of God. May it never happen here. May it never happen here. Finally, oh, my time is gone. See how much I wanted to say to you? Really, finally, what is the church? The church is, is a place in which each one of us has this privilege of participating in the mission of God. He calls us in to send us out. He calls us in to send us out. You and I, our lives can matter. They must matter. It, it means that wherever you go, you become his representative. In, in what way do you breathe out? Uh, you become his voice. People who would never come to a church or read a Bible, you can begin to say, oh, that there's hope for you. Because if there's hope for me, there is for you. We breathe out here. We breathe out and look for places where they've never heard, places all over the world, until the work of God is done. And when I read Acts 2 and then I read Revelation 7, I say the end is going to look a whole lot like the beginning. In the beginning, you had all these people groups together praising God. And in the end, we're going to have all these people groups together praising God. Except for the big difference is going to be at the end, we will all be complete in Christ. We won't be messed up anymore. <laughs> I thought I'd get an amen. <laughs> that, that the Lord isn't going to give up on us until he is actually done with his beautifying work in us. I'll stop there because we'll talk more about this in coming weeks. But I do have a, a last thought for us as a church. I've talked about us being the church breathing out here in the neighborhood and breathing out there in the rest of the world. But there are these rare times and rare places 
in which one local church gathering can be involved in God's mission in a special way because God has placed us in a place where the here and there are here. You look very confused. What do I mean by that? I mean, our area is becoming among the most culturally and ethnically diverse communities in the entire world. Do you know that the people from all over the world are moving to our neighborhood? But as they do, they maintain, and many of you are among it, maintaining close relationships with your homelands. And as Christ transforms your life, what happens here can be communicated there. Another really amazing thing about where God has put us is that we're here in this community where these world-class educational institutions like Caltech and Fuller Seminary and Azusa Pacific University, John, are right here among us. And what happens is you have students from all over the world coming in, having a short period of time here among us, and will be going back to all sorts of places in the world and as major leaders in the world, but perhaps carrying Christ with them. What an opportunity. God has given us to be a part of a church family like Lake Avenue Church. Do you see why I was so thrilled to become a part of it? Do you see that? And we've been sensing that God may be giving us some new ways of building a family that looks like Acts 2 and Revelation 7-9. Some of you know I, I get my notes done by Friday and they're translated into several languages that can be picked up in tables in the back. But I have thought... When I hear sometimes people praying in many different languages here in our church, I thought, why, why couldn't we, even for, for first-generation people coming in to our community, be able to have those languages bring the message simultaneously? Maybe you'd be interested in such a thing. Maybe you have really good capability, both in English and in another language, where God is bringing a lot of people here into our community. I'm not quite sure how this will look, But if you'd be interested in beginning to pray and talk about that, at the end of the service, I really want you to come to our Connect section. You can go right through the doors or meet some of the folks right here at the very beginning. I also asked Pastor Scott White to come. Scott, will you come up? And I asked him to sit right on the front row. And Scott, you actually did it. (laughs) Scott and I, our offices are next to one another. So I always drop down there, don't I, Scott? Yes, we are near neighbors. And uh, began thinking about what could we practically ask some folks to do to say, how can I become more involved in carrying this message of Jesus here to this community so it can go out into the entire world? Scott, you had a couple of ideas. Yeah, well, first of all, Greg, what you said about context, that, here, that there is now here. Uh, as you said, Los Angeles County is considered the most cosmopolitan, multi-ethnic, multicultural place in the United States. It goes beyond that. Those who study demography would say it's the most cosmopolitan place in the world. But I'm going to go one more than that. Most demographers would say it is the most cosmopolitan place. This day, our time is the most cosmopolitan place in the history of the world. This is the global melting pot. There is here. And I appreciate you challenging us and asking us what does that mean for us. So a couple of things. I love that. Chinese proverb, the the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. It's so basic. But for many of us, it's that first step that's also the hardest because it's filled full of moving into the unknown. And we have a a handful of outreach ministries here that have been doing that as kind of like entry points for quite a while. And I want to encourage us to take a step into the unknown and consider, well, maybe there's a door opener I can walk uh, walk through. So we've got four things for you. 
real quickly. Ahak, which means in Arabic, the truth. And as the Arabic speakers in this congregation will say, that is the language of God. Is Arabic? <laughs> Just ask them. Um, Al-Haq is an opportunity to, to meet with Muslims in the Southern California area and share the full truth of who Jesus is. Um, it's trained. It's, you'll get training and equipping. Uh, the Al-Haq leaders are out in the lobby. They've been doing this for a long time. Um, friends, I even told you a story last week about an underground church. It involves some of those leaders from Al-Haq who've been discipling and nurturing that over there while they're also doing that kind of thing here. Friends, I want to invite you to come. You can just sit on the sidelines and pray. You can get engaged in, in multiple languages where Muslim peoples come from. It's about a quarterly outreach that goes on in a variety of places around Southern California. Coming closer to home, we have our, our, our friends of international students. For 25 years, we've been building relationships with international scholars as they come into the area. In particular, right now, we need women who want to be conversation partners with other women. A lot of these scholars, particularly the Chinese scholars, will bring their family. And usually that means the wife and a child. Well, it's often the wife and the child are kind of stuck in their living circumstances, usually right down here at Caltech. They don't have much interaction. So we have lots of opportunities to match up women with women in particular. But on the second and fourth Friday, we have a family event. It includes a Bible study. Friends, we, have, we see people regularly come to Christ through our Friends of International Student, but we do not have enough folks who have taken that first step of engagement. Talk to our leaders in the lobby about that. And side by side with them, for the 14th year, we're having our, our educational homestay program. High schoolers from Europe come. Friends, they stay in homes somewhere in the San Gabriel Valley for a program they do here at Lake during the day for the month of July. If they're going to stay in homes, we want them to stay in Christian homes. Mm. People who know Christ and follow him. And so I want to invite you, if you've never done this, we did this finally a couple years ago. We had a ball with our French student. This year they're coming from Austria, Italy, and Spain. For one month, the program's all here. You sleep them and you feed them. And it's a rich bridge building Family of Christ, practicing hospitality. And one of the hallmarks of always the Christian movement has been hospitality. Practice hospitality in our homes with the foreigner, with the one coming from the outside. And then lastly, um, something new we're calling the Amazing Day. A lot of us probably like me are fans of the Amazing Race. We're calling this the Amazing Day. It's a real, it's an entry point. I want, I'm going to invite you to sign up in the lobby to join me on a half-day field trip. The best part of school is always field trip, right? Go to the field trip and some of my outreach team leaders as we visit a mosque, a Hindu temple, and a Buddhist temple. And we'll provide you with an opportunity just to watch the worship that takes place in that place. Ask God to break our hearts so that we might learn together, that we might pray together, and we'll meet with some of the leaders in those communities. And it's just as an exposure and awareness. A thousand-mile trip begins with the first step. After the service, I want to invite you out the lobby and begin making these kind of connections. Thank you so much, Scott. Let me give you a visual image. Um, this is up in our warehouse room. I'd love you to go visit it because the real, it's a whole wall of our warehouse. I'm, I'm really proud of it, partially because my son was so involved in doing it. It doesn't look as good. It seems distorted there because it's been pushed together. But what you see there is a piece of artwork that Heather Pentecost, one of our high school students, actually inspired. Uh, she wanted us to begin thinking about how our church has been placed here for a reason by God. This is not outside of what he's trying to do. So if you look at that, I don't know if you can recognize it, but you see in this mural that's on our wall many of the very recognizable parts of Pasadena. You see there the, uh, the city hall. You see their I-210 going through. And in the centerpiece of it, you see that unmissable cross 
that God has given us the opportunity. Do you see what this is saying? That you and I have the opportunity to be God's church here, but that it will have an impact that is able to go far beyond this place. And I urge you, together with Scott and all of us here, to find a place where you can be a minister in the name of Jesus, because that's a part of what it means to be in the church. Each one of us knowing God, each one of us becoming a minister, each one of us participating in the most exciting mission ever conceived of in the universe. I'll just tell you, my prayer is that when Jesus actually comes back and he completes his work, that he will look at Lake Avenue Church and he says, now that's what I gave my life to bring about. That's my prayer. I pray he'll look at us and say, now that's the church. That's what I saw starting in Acts 2. That's what I saw culminating when I'm done in Revelation 7. That's one unexpected family of people brought together by faith in me, held together and empowered by the Holy Spirit and deeply and passionately engaged in God's glorious mission. May it be to His glory. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we have looked at one of the most strategic passages in your entire word. Now, Father, may these words actually take root in the life of this church family. Help us to be more and more the kind of church you would have us to be. You've shown us that. May it be recognizable to all that this is your place, the place where you dwell, and that we are your people. And Father, work in each one of our hearts. Show us that we can know you as our Father and show us how you would have us to make a difference in our families, in this church, in our businesses, in our world. Father, continue to do your work until your work is done. In the name of Jesus.